Okay, hey, we, uh, we're going to just jump right in to our study. I'll just go over a couple things, but we are in Galatians, the letter in the New Testament that was wrote to the churches in this particular region called the region of Galatia. And so what was happening was the church, as we know it, the, the gathering is referred to as the the Greek word is ekklesia, the called out ones. So they've, they've, they've heard about this person, this Jewish man who um, was a carpenter, teacher, and they heard some amazing things that he actually claimed to be God. He made statements about himself that were clearly indicating he conveyed that he was one with God. He was God in human flesh. And as they heard that report, then they also heard more that like the religious community was pretty uptight, mainly the Jews. They were wound up about it. Um, and then that terrible news come across that uh, Jesus had been put to death, crucified on a cross. But then very soon they hear, just a day or two later, the report comes that he rose from the dead. The very thing he said he would do, he said, I am the resurrection and the life, he did. He rose from the dead, and he appeared to over 500 people at one time and in various places that physically seen him, even verified by his scars that he was the one on the cross. And so this church is what we're, where I'm leading to, is this gathering of people that have experienced the forgiveness of God. They've, they've put their faith in Christ. And so now it's growing, and they're in, in various places. There's these church pop, churches popping up, and here's this one in the region of Galatia. And so as it grows, people come in and say, okay, so there's more to it than just putting your faith in Christ. Yes, that you've got to put, you start by putting your faith in Jesus, but your life should show it. And they didn't say it that simply. They said it actually more so the gospel, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. That's good news. And then they said, plus, you now, because he was Jewish, you now have to obey the, the Jewish law as well. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow what Moses did. you got to do this. Which you understand, that, that took good news and made it bad news. Because the gospel plus is never a good deal. So here's the gospel, the work of God through the person Jesus Christ, the will of the Father accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit, and here we have this phenomenal work of regeneration, forgiveness offered to humanity. He did it. And if we add anything onto it, we are now really compounding things because it's no longer good news. And that's what happened. This, these churches in this region were infiltrated by this teaching that you had to do more to truly be saved. Now, if you've been tracking with us as we went through Galatians, our way up to chapter 6 here, you know I've went over in detail and we'll even touch on it today. There will be a lifestyle change when there's new life within you. You will live differently. It's not because you have to. You just will. Love will change your life. It, 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 you'll just live differently. And that's ultimately what we see in the church. People started living differently. Outsiders looked at it and go, oh, that's what you do. Start doing what they do. So they tried to emulate the outside without being born again on the inside. And, of course, that created a lot of confusion. Getting to our text, we are doing a kind of an overview of Galatians this time through. We went chapter by chapter, verse by verse in 2020. If you want to catch that detail, uh, you know, then you can go to our website, go to the sermons page, um, just click on that, on sermons, go down to the bottom of that page, and there'll be a series called Free at Last. And that's where we went chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are just going to doing an overview um, as we wrap it up. Actually, today we'll wrap up this particular letter um, covering these various things. So for chapter 6, I want to set the stage with chapter 5. Does that help? Because other than jump in there and wrap it up, we're going to look at chapter 5, Galatians, verses 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So we looked at that a little bit last week, and how you know there's a, a desire to walk and live the right way, but then there's this kind of a conflict. And last week we were able to see some of the details and some of the expressions and the attributes, the work 
of walking in the flesh, it showed certain mannerisms, certain expressions. We also finished the study at the latter part of that chapter looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit will bear fruit. There's a difference between working to make yourself look good and bearing fruit because you're connected to the vine. So we've seen how that fit together. Now, I want to touch base on a couple things here because this is really important as we head into the last chapter. There's this element of choice. There's a, there's a battle taking place. And I think oftentimes, you know, we just, we don't really realize we're in a battle. I, that may sound weird, but just think about it. We see it on the news, right, that there's, a, there's an opposing worldview, there's opposing values. We see it there. We experience it, uh, for many of you, in the workplace. We, we hear the conversations in the restaurant or in the grocery store. All these public expressions, if you would. But that's not where our biggest conflict takes place. Our biggest battle is a battle of wills. A conflict between what I know to do and what I choose to do. And I hope you can relate to it, because if you can't, you're a liar. <laughs> Nothing personal. But being in tune with this is really important to where like, hey man, I, I wanted to do this, but then I did this and this, and like, ah, let me let me give some support to it scripturally. Let me go to a passage that you will relate to, I believe. Turn with me, we'll bring it up on projection. Romans chapter seven. Romans chapter seven. Specifically, verse 15. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Does anybody understand this conflict? See, before you were born again, you, you didn't have quite this conflict. Because, see, being born again speaks of you agreeing with God about your personal sin. Sin separated you from God. Everyone sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So your sin has separated you. Now you might not have called it sin. You just knew there's just some things that weren't right. You weren't right with God. So being born again is where your sin separated you. And then you agree with God that it's your sin. That you did it. And then you also agree with God that he is the only way by which you can have forgiveness. There's no other way by which man can be saved. So I agree about sin. I agree with God. God, I need you. You don't know how. I don't know how to explain all the details to it in the sense of inner workings and spiritual and flesh and all this. I just, God, I agree with you. I, I need your forgiveness. And in that moment where you agree with God, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, believing he's the only one who could die for your sins. He's God in human form. Believing that he died for your sins, you put your trust in him, that he would forgive you for your sin. And we're told at that moment, you're born again, born of the Spirit. Now, being born of the Spirit, you, you, there's still certain things still there, right? You, you didn't get a new body. You got a new life, but you're still dealing with the old carcass, so to speak. And so you're still having the similar desires, similar temptations. And now it's a conflict because it didn't seem to be a problem before because you weren't regenerated, you weren't born again. And now because you look, you go, oh, real briefly, my history, I grew up not going to church, not interested in church, had a very distorted view about people who did such a thing. I would be categorized, I would probably have to claim that the denomination of seven-day recreationalists. So I just wanted to be outside, all, always doing my own thing, going wherever. I worked in a truck shop starting my senior year of high school. Um, I found a drive, and I, I wanted to just always do things kind of extreme. And so one of the things I did was I had a goal to really um, disturb the people I work with. Some of you, I know, you do the same thing. But anyway, but here's my, my twisted dimension in because I wasn't born again. I worked in a truck shop with truck drivers and tough people and rugged scene. I wanted to speak so profanely that I offended them. Now that's setting the bar pretty high if you know what I'm talking about. That's just like, okay. And I literally, I did. I was so profane that I would, Davis, that's disgusting. And I would like, nailed it. That was just how like off track I was. And my wife, she just had a lot going on in her life. She starts going to church. That's fine. I got other things to do. So she goes. I don't. 
she ends up agreeing with the gospel, putting faith in Christ, and is born again. And I see the difference in her. And I kind of poke the bear, see if I can test if it's genuine or not, whatever. But then I end up coming into a relationship with Christ too, agreeing that I needed forgiveness. Understanding the truth is he made it known to me, and I was born again. Well, guess what? I had a language problem. I actually was bilingual. Really profane and now born again. <laughs> and it was a conflict. And all of a sudden, I didn't want to say those things. I didn't want to do those things. And it's just, man, it's so weird. It didn't used to bother me. Because my conscience was seared, mostly. Do you see what I'm talking about? That's why you and I, that's just a simple example of what we deal with when we realize, man, I, I don't practice the things I want to do. And now the things that I hate, I, I don't, oh God, what's going on? If you look in verses 18 and 19 of Romans 7, you'll see even more support. And, and this is Paul, as a, he's born again, he's, God is bringing the truth of eternity through Paul for our benefit and for, for, for eternity. He says this, For I know that in me, that's in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. As I grew as a Christian, I'm going to church, but I still am speaking regretfully the same way in the workplace. And there's this conflict. I knew what I wanted to do, but I was in a dilemma, a quandary, a conflict. Like, how do I get my act together? How do I straighten this out? How do I straighten this up? Well, verses 24 and 25 of... Romans 7 brought me clarity, brings you clarity. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I, must, I myself serve the, this, the principle or this, this truth of God. But with the flesh, there's this, this principle of sin. And so I realized it wasn't just me getting my act together. It was learning to know God in a very personal and intimate and private way, learning how to work these things out and realize who he is and actually trusting in him, believing that he is the only one that could do the work of bringing his children to maturity. So with that as the backdrop, I want to pray, and then we're going to go into Galatians 6. God, we would consider just today the familiarity we have. For many of us, Lord, there's, there's desire to do what we believe would glorify you and, and even what you would prompt us to do and yet there's also things that are in such conflict, such um, odor of hypocrisy as we do the opposite and we, we face the conflict and we find ourselves almost in a mental turmoil sometimes trying to sort all this out. And so God, I would pray today as we would consider your word, we would receive what you have for us individually. We would hear it here in this public setting, but it would be privately written on the very corridors of our heart bringing clarity to our minds individually, that we would know your victory, that we would know your calling, that we would live with the joy that you've given us, God. And so teach us your word today. Walk us through for your glory and for our joy. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's run, move right on over to Galatians chapter 6. You're going to see as we read through this, Walking in the Spirit is actually an individual, individual decision that affects people in your life. And so let's consider this. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. 
Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. All right, verse 6. Let's just kind of walk through this. Brethren, he's speaking to to the siblings, to, to the body of Christ. If, I think you could say accurately, when... A man stumbles. A person um, trips up. Overtaken is the word we see in the New King James translation from Greek to English. It speaks of to to stumble or to fall. Speaking of um, mistake or misstep. Um, When someone, you know, has lost their footing, they fall. I got permission to share this first service um, from Kim. It was on the fly, so she didn't really have an option to vote, really. But nonetheless... I'll share an example from our life. We were down in San Diego recently and able to just you know, get away and get a reset on some things, get refreshed. And We're walking from our room down the beach, down the sidewalk. And the sidewalk, you know, they shave anything that rises up because you've got a lot of, you know, skateboards and, you know, uh, scooters and, you know, rollerblades and bikes. All the wheeled stuff needs to be able to cruise along. Well, they shave it and angle it, but it's still up. So we're walking along and holding hands, and Kim and I. And so as we're walking, I'm, you know, just walking along, and she just hangs a toe of a foot on, on one of those rises, and she starts falling. So, guys, you know how awkward this is, right? I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak real-world stuff, and you're going to have to deal with it. But anyway, she starts to fall. Now, there's a couple of conflicts taking place right now. So I'm reading, like... You know, do I hold tighter and, and hurt her arm, or do I, you know, it's all happening super fast. And, and here's the one that you, you know. It's like, am I allowed to laugh? <laughs> At what point is that permissible or not permissible? And I'll get to that here in a minute because we've been down this road before. The point is, she's, she's just walking and, and, and stumbles and, and starts to fall. And so, you know, she, she, you know, she falls. Here's, here's the key because it could happen to you, me, any of us. It's really simple. But as she stumbles the fall, when you get to laugh, depends on whether she laughs. So if she laughs, then it's okay. She says, you know, everything. And, and you really can't even do that until they're like, you know, you kind of do a, a quick check. Arms okay. No broken pinkies. Everything's fine. Oh, I laugh. But you can't over laugh. You understand? You've got to laugh to her level of laugh. Otherwise, you're going to be having a discussion later. There's got to be this like, <laughs> oh, and you, you know. I didn't want to overlap that time, but I've, I've, I've been in the overlap corner in the home before. My point to all this is, you see how simple this is to lose your footing? You just stumble. That's what it's talking about. If, if someone stumbles and trips up, then, then help come alongside them. Help them. You, if you have your footing, if you're on something slick and you have a grip, you just help that one who fell to get onto their feet again. And notice this. What's the goal according to the text? The goal is restoration. You want someone who spiritually stumbles, you want to come alongside with a, with a, a desire for restoration. You want to come to them with meekness, is what the text is telling us. Meekness is, is gentleness, and it's, uh, it's strength under control. And also we see with an attitude of humility. Restore such a one in gent- a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. See, it, it's, it's talking about, it's, it's not addressing the, same, the, the sense of where, when someone turns away, if, if there's a misstep, or perhaps, you know, there's this um, mistake, that's different than a misdeed, a conscious decision of defiance. You would deal with that differently, agreed? Someone just tumbles and trips, you're, you're, you're going to handle that differently than somebody arrogantly running away, and then they have consequences to those actions, you're going to handle it differently. You should hopefully still have the same goal, restoration, hopefully the same mentality of meekness and attitude of humility. The wording of this here in this particular text is interesting. One one commentator said this. I love the way he presented this. This attitude of, you know, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Here's this quote. This suggests... That gentleness is born of a sense of our own weakness and proneness to sin. So let me put it another way. You have this humility and gentleness 
because you know you could have tripped just as easy as they did. You could have stumbled just the same. It's not that complex. So it, it's really powerful because it teaches us to have this, this awareness, and it helps us to not be thinking too highly of ourselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there's this instruction to learn from those who went before us. It gives us some specific details about the nation Israel and even their time of, of resisting God. But it ends with this exhortation, or the, towards the end of 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, why? Lest he fall. So when you're, when you're solid, that's good. You know, you got your footing, that's fine. But don't think you're not going to fall. My pastor had a great saying. It meant so much to me because it was so simple. Hey, dude, we are all just one banana peel away from a crash. And I thought that's so straightforward. Just one little thing you didn't see. One little thing, and you could, you could be down too. So let's not let the kind of pride or something else creep in. Let's, let's move along with the text. We're to restore one another with gentleness and humility. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And bearing one another's burdens just speaks of help carry the load when needed. Some burdens cannot be, cannot be carried on your own. There are certain things that people go through, and through no fault of their own, there is hardship, there is tragedy, there is difficulty, there's emotional trauma, if you would. And, and there's points, sometimes they just need help, and just to help carry that, that burden. You know, this, it says here that it's to, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the, the law of Christ. Well, we know about the love of Christ, but what does it mean, the law of Christ? Well, it's this principle, a law speaking of a, of a truth or maybe even an axiom, more so a principle, and it's help fulfill the established way of Jesus. He who knew no sin carried the burden of sin. He took upon himself what no one else could do because no one else could carry it of their own. We're told even in Mark, for clarity, chapter 10, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So that's the principle that's being presented, and the practical expression of that is we bear one another's burdens. Well, what does that look like? Well, it's, it's just having empathy, respect, sensitivity to the Spirit, where you can speak to someone. You know, have you ever spoke to someone and says, you know, what can I do to help? Is there anything I can do? You know they're in a, in a tough spot, in a horrible time, a tough tragedy. What can I do? What can I do to help? Well, here's the problem. Why are you putting it on them? I mean, I'm a real world guy. I mean, when you say to someone, what can I do to help? You just give them a task list. Most people don't know what to tell you. When you want to help and you do, that's why you articulate or communicate. Can I help in any way? I don't know. I don't even want to eat right now. I haven't eaten two days. I don't know what I, don't know what I need. See, so you understand the importance of being, okay, God, get it. The Bible tells you and I to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, be of the same mind with one another. Do not set your mind on high things. Or in other words, don't elevate yourself above. But be willing and just to, to bear one another's burdens. And you know, like you said, there's just times you, you don't have any answers. It's really awkward for both parties, agreed? When you want to help and you want to carry that burden, but there's just, it's just nothing physical, tangible. You can't write a check. You can't do the dishes. You can't. It's just hard. But we've got to realize that that's how you come alongside one another. There's just times some people are going through things they can't carry on their own and they're not meant to be. They're not meant to be something they have to hold up and hold on to. That's part of our culture that's a bit of a challenge. Let's continue on. We'll actually catch a little more of this a little in a couple verses down. Looking at verse 3, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So some will stumble, some will have an, a carrying a heavy load, and if we somehow perceive or think that you know, we're the Savior, we're the ones to help, oh, I can do something, it's like, wait a minute, back up a little bit. Let's consider 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. I think it's the best insight into what this means, whether you're something or nothing. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, speaking of how we would engage and help, and if, the, all, if we could do these amazing different things, if I have the gift of prophecy, 
and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. It literally has no value. It constitutes nothing. Even though these powerful and impressive and amazing things be done, if it's not done in love, with love, it it really results in in functionally nothing. Going on in verse 2, or I'm sorry, verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, profits me nothing. See, when when we consider the, the needs around us and the opportunities before us, we always want to recognize if I'm not doing it in love, I need to do a heart check myself. What's my motivation? What's my compulsion? Am I going to help this person because it looks good to help them and because I'll get something from it? Those are just some things we're going to look at today, the, those healthy heart checks that are unavoidable. They have to be in place. They have to be, we have to be willing to really check our heart and see. Join me back in Galatians 6. We'll unearth this a little more deeply here in verse 4. Because he said, you know, don't have this loveless mentality is how I've tied it together. We're exhorted to help one another when we can and how we can. But notice in verse 4, but let each one examine his own work. And then then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So, you know, the latter part of verse 3 speaks of, you could be deceiving yourself. You don't want to deceive yourself. Thinking we're something that we're not. How do you solve that? You check your heart. Check your heart. We've already seen in this chapter the, the presence of uh, the importance of humility and, and gentleness and, and meekness and, and, and a desire to see others do well. And then he says examine, which means to check, um, to test, to approve. It's in the Greek, it was a word they used to describe the, the metal, uh, precious metal processing, if you would. It's how they scrutinized metals, the refining process. Refining process was, was the test. It was put to the test to, to bring the impurities and the dross out of the, the various metals. And so this is my encouragement, my realization, and I, I hope a, a daily consideration that each one examine his own work what you're doing, consider why you're doing it. Because I believe, and I've thought this through for a few years now, and I I still go back to it, and I think it's a pretty solid reality. One of, and possibly the greatest need as a follower of Jesus Christ is to be honest with oneself. To be honest with ourself. See, if, if it's not broken, you don't fix it, right? I mean, there's not a person here. I've said this over the years a few different times. I've not yet met the person who drove to a car repair shop, said, everything's good, see if you can find something. You don't go there and go, hey, man, I'm willing to pay you whatever. Just send me a bill, fix something. Because if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. But if you examine, you might find out there is something there, something that's got to be addressed. Covering up the warning light on your dash does not end well. So when something is saying, give this attention, then don't, you don't ignore it, nor do you pretend like it's no big deal. And so that's why it's so important to learn to be honest with ourselves. Why are we not? Why are we not honest with ourselves? Because I don't think most people are. I don't think most Christians are. So we could debate it later. But nonetheless, why aren't we? It's embarrassing. It's heart-wrenching. It's humiliating. When we, and then when I want to make sure you understand, what I'm talking about is something that's done privately between you and God alone. Not even with your spouse or your closest friend or even your mentor. This is to be done between you and your Savior in a very sincere, real way. Where you're opening your heart and literally saying, God, I, I, don't, I don't trust me anymore. I trust me less. I used to trust me more. I trust me less. And so the scripture tells us that we, we come with this humility and this attitude where we could say, search me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because see, here's the problem. When I examine myself and you do it with a, with a, with a total honesty, and under your own scrutiny, 
you are going to be cowering in the corner, slobbering, and just a mental case. Because you will scrutinize and you will find all your faults and all your weaknesses and you will destroy yourself. You'll, build your, you'll just tear yourself down. So how do you do it? It's this intimacy with God. It's where the Holy Spirit brings to light things about you and you have the integrity and the honesty because of the intimacy with God. You're saying, God, I, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't, I, oh man, why do I keep doing that, God? What is my deal? I need your help. Lord, I'm trusting you. Could you just show me? Could you lead me in this way everlasting? I I need your help. It's a beautiful dependency expressed through faith with the confidence in God and a diminishing confidence in ourselves. Because as we realize this and the more we see he examines, as we examine, then we'll have rejoicing. It is an odd thing. Can we agree? To discover your faults and rejoice. It's not masochistic. It's not just some self-abasement. It, it, what it is, is like, God, I, I never seen that about me. I didn't want to admit that's how I was. But thank you, because I know you showed it, because you're going to deal with it. You've revealed it, because you will bring me victory. You will release me from the bondage of it. You will set me free. Now you are, So you see the difference? One puts the confidence in myself to clean up my act. And the other has a growing confidence in God that as he's made it known, he's going to be the one to bring about, bring about victory and he's going to bring about the, the work and the cleansing. Moving on in our text, we find, we examine. And then also it says in verse 5, for each one shall bear his own load. Well, I believe it's tied to that in this whole process of, be, of being real with God. But it says you're going you're gonna to carry your own load. And this, is, this was a fascinating one to me because I've had the discussion with the person. And uh, it was not a, much of a discussion. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody and you just don't get it? And they don't get you? And next thing you know, you're just sharing words and nothing synchronizes. It's like, Bleh! you know, it's kind of like, well, I that was a little graphic. I won't say vomit. But it's just kind of like, it's just a mess. So here's the thing. It says, each one shall bear his own load, but we just read above in verse 2, bear one another's burdens, so which one is it? This person was convinced. This is a contradiction in the Bible. Very passionate about their presentation. Very convinced that they had found the missing link. And this is why you couldn't trust the Scripture. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm confused. I don't understand how they contradict. Bear one another's burdens, and each one shall bear his own load. I think the best picture for me, personally, I think it helps for you as well. Some years ago, you know, we, we, we do backpacking trips into the Trinities. We still do them. But anyway, we, we went with the group, uh, the youth group. And so when, we go, when you go backpacking, you have your own pack. You have your stuff in it. Now, when you do a group pack with inexperienced hikers, packers, you, you have to have a packing party. You basically make sure they're carrying the right stuff and, you know, not like, 14 changes of clothes and you know whatever stuff. So you got to have the right amount of stuff for them personally. But you also carry stuff corporately. One may be carrying the pots and pans, the distribution of the food. You even out the weights based on your you know, measurements and such. And so you know, now you're each carrying your own pack, but you're also carrying somebody else's. And this one particular time, we're heading into these lakes, and two of them were struggling one just wasn't physically capable. They weren't as in good a shape as I thought they were in and not near what they thought where they were in. But then another one had slipped. So when they slipped and fell, now their ankles tweaked. They're able to walk, but the more weight they put on it, the diff- more difficult it was. So what do you do? Well, if you're like some men or some people or some elements of the world, you go, suck it up, buttercup. You just got to man up and get out of here. I just, you know, pain is gain. You're going to learn from this. Or you could be human. Or you could be like biblical and say, hey, listen, this is, we took the pack that the one person had. We distributed the stuff that was in that pack. We put it in other people's packs. And actually, the one time we ended up, that particular time, we just stashed that pack on the trail and picked it up on the way back. Well, because we were each carrying our own, but you were bearing one another's burdens. I don't know how people can make contradictions out of this stuff. It's just so clear. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's pretty simple. Each one shall bear his own load. You do have to carry your own weight. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. 
You carry your own backpack. Even just yesterday, I was helping someone move, and there's a lot of us there. And each person did what they can. The stronger stuff, a couple of them, you know, grabbed onto this big weight configuration. It's a big heavy thing that you play with to make yourself stronger, I guess, is what the theory is. So anyway, they carry this around the garage and around and over to the shed. In the meantime, even the children are picking up the totes and picking up the things and carrying them out because what? Each one bears their own load. Each one can do something. Even while the children were, they were carrying out stuff, all the other things happened. It's just simple. And, and there's such a simple picture for us in the body of Christ. We're each part. We just do what we can do. Don't compete. Don't compare. Try to, don't try to outdo. Just do what you're capable of doing. Verse 6. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Share, koinoneo, it, it's, uh, it literally speaks to become a partaker, um, to share in the, the work, if you would. But if you're cared for spiritually, meaning taught, then share with material things. It's just, it's really straightforward. It's always awkward for me to talk about it because, you know, I'm sitting here talking about it. I'm the one teaching. So I was like, I could milk this for really good. Like, hey, so this is what I need. That's not the point. Here's the thing. Realize this. You, you, when, you're, when, you, when you're receiving spiritually, you would want to do what you can to take care of the material needs as well. This is like 20, so we're going on the 24th year serving here in Mountain Home. In a, in a, functionally in a paid position, if you would. And a couple of years previous to that, in Boise. And so I have, you know, between not just the time here and the time I was there, and then even other times I was serving, close to 30 years of experience in this. And here's a sad thing that I see. Many leave the ministry because they can't provide for themselves or their family. Many leave the ministry. I've seen people that are gifted teachers and a love for the Lord have to then go do what they got to do to pay their family. I've, I've been in the conversations, I've had the discussions, when people have even said to me, listen, God provides for you differently. So, and, and people don't understand, right? I could, we could do a quiz right here, and most people go, I don't know how they pay a little bit light bill. I, I don't know how they take care of stuff. Someone does it. Like, well, it actually says if you're being taught, then you're a part of it. And that's how it happens. And so, what I'm, you see what I'm presenting is just a simple thing. Now, here's what I believe is a little bit of what I call my qualifier. If you walk in here and we're trimmed in gold and the most extravagant thing everywhere and it's just like, wow, run, run. That's not what it's about. If it's all about pomp and, and show and all this outward stuff, I, don't, I wouldn't fund it. <laughs> Seriously. But if it's, you know, just it's where you're at and I, I don't have an issue with that with people that have that. There's a whole different class of people. Their decimal points in a different place on their on their income, and they live different. That's just not where I'm at. And none of you were there either. Just guessing. So then just let that be. But here, live where you are, and just and just be a part of what God is doing because it, it's really a, it's a it's a, actually an exhortation, and it's a warning if you look in the next verse. Because he's talking about being responsible and realizing the relationship and understanding this spiritual and material element. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So here's a basic principle. It's a principle of creation. First, that God is not mocked. You know, people could spout off, and they do. They post, and they do. They go to social media, and they say all these things, and they seem to be mocking God. No, they're actually expressing defiance. They're not actually mocking God. It seems like it, but how do you mock someone who is over you, even though he allows you to? So God is not mocked. In other words, you can't you know, do things your own way and say God approved it. It also says, do not be deceived. So God cannot be mocked, he is not mocked, and men can be deceived. Men can be deceived. We know that. So, my personal summary for this one that I've held on to for some time, be careful of what you convince yourself of. 
Be careful of what you convince yourself of. Oh, it's, it's okay. I do it this way because of this. And I, I'm this. I do that because I do this. It's like be careful of what you convince yourself of. You can talk yourself into anything, whether it's regards to, to finances, whether it's regards to service, whether it's regards to spiritual disciplines, whatever it may be. You can talk yourself into some really, really deceptive things. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. That's a basic principle of creation. You plant corn seeds, I don't think you're going to see watermelons popping up. It's pretty simple. And so he's just talking about just planting. And don't, don't mistake this as just simply being, you know, maybe more material or financial or whatever. It's just, a, it's, a, it's a process of motivation. It's a process of comprehension. It's an element of understanding where you're like, okay, I'm not gonna, I don't want to be deceived. I want to be in agreement with God. And he says, when you, when you sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit, you, you reap spiritual things. When you plant a seed that's fleshly, that's just going to feed the flesh, don't be surprised when you get what you planted. It's sad when you talk to people who have come up with something that says, well, I can do it this way. And they live that way for years, for decades. And they get to the end and they, didn't, they actually thought that they got away with it. That, oh, no. And then guess what happens? It produces something. It produces what's a direct representative of what was planted. So if I sow to the flesh, I can get away with it for years but it's going to produce fleshly things. If I sow to the Spirit, I, I'm a, I, may, I may struggle just the same. It may seem the same, but it's going to produce something because that's what the Bible says. It's not your efforts that are going to produce something. Notice he says, if, you, if you sow, we sow to his flesh, he will reap corruption, but sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. This greater, and everlasting not just speaking of, of, of uh, longevity or quantity, it, it's qualitative as well, meaning the type of life, beginning even now. Moving along, let's move on to verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Do not grow weary in doing good. It's a really important verse for us. We'll take that similar agricultural type comparison a farmer say a person gets some land we'll just maybe put it local it's a Waihee county and he gets there after he gets this piece of dirt and he gets out on the property and he measures out and he sees what his 10 acres are and he doesn't realize that he's got a problem it's more rock and sagebrush than he thought could exist in a 10 acre parcel but he gets after it he gets down to business He's so removed, he has to work more with his hands and his muscles, and he gets the property cleared, and he gets the rocks out of there, and he gets some, some water flowing a little bit. He gets it cultivated. He gets the prep for, for, for seed. He does all this work, and man, it's just a long, hard fall and winter. And coming into spring, he's now planted, and he's got the water going, and then Man, all of a sudden the droughts, there's not getting rain and I'm going to have to buy water. Oh, man, I'm done. I'm done. He quits. Because see, guess what happens? You get tired of it, but you've got to understand this is it's actually, it's going to bear fruit in time. I'm going to stay the course. That's why I was saying don't, don't grow weary. It means don't quit. It doesn't say don't get tired because you can't, you're going to get tired. Well, that's not very spiritual. Well, Jesus slept on a boat. You figure it out. In a storm. And it wasn't because he was just proving he could do a power nap. It was simply because he was physically tired. So you're, you're going to get tired. You're going to be weary in that sense. But just realize, you know, I'm going to stay the course. You say it this way. Know where your strength comes from. Know where your strength comes from. Our strength is from the Lord. And those weak points and those tough times and those when we really feel like throwing in the towel, what do we do? Jesus' apostles, you know, his disciples were following him. And a lot of times they were following him because of what he was given to them. You know, they were, they were getting an experience. Like he walks on water, that's impressive. Turns water into wine, that's beneficial. 
There's just things they were getting, you know, all these different things. And at one point, he taught them. So, guys, I want you to understand this. There's a deeper thing I'm showing you. It's more than just the physical. I want you to understand, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And they're like, And it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, that many of his disciples, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and walked with him no more. They literally just pulled to the back. It was a hard saying. Who could accept it? And Jesus turned to the disciples that were there, and he says, so what about you guys? What are you going to do? And Peter said what I believe most of us would say that are really sincere. Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Think about the depth of that, on, of that honesty. He didn't say, I get it. I know what you're talking about. He's saying, I'm, I'm trying not to throw up, but I'm not leaving you. You have the words of eternal. I don't understand some of the ways you do, and I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't understand some of this stuff called life, but I will not turn away. I will stay, I will fix my eyes on you, I will get to know you, I'll understand what you're, you have the words of eternal life. Isn't that so genuinely honest, so relationally transparent, where he just said, I, I don't have any answers, but I'm not leaving, because I know you are the one. I hope you have that settled in your heart as a Christian, to just settle in, that, I just know he's the one. I don't know why some things are going on, but I know he's the one. Let's wrap it up in verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So this is not complicated. It's not meaning you, 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 know, you, you turn your back on somebody who's not yet a Christian or, or maybe have a little different gathering or opinion. That's not it. It's just simple family stuff. If you're going to take care of people, you will take care of your family first, I hope, because you have been brought into that circle. You've been given that particular... Uh, um, range of relationships, and you're going to look out for each other. That's really biblical. It's not meant that you're not, it's not meant to say exclusionary or separatist. It's just priority. You just deal with what's with you. As, as, at any point, you, and what you can do, let us do good, and we have opportunity to do good to all. So, too much of our society is self focused. I'm going to get to the point, and it's going to hurt, but careers, appearances, possessions, all with the motivation of personal gain. Even our spiritual focus and motivation can be strongly tainted by this. We long to mature and, and learn and grow so we can keep from stumbling or giving into sin. Self-oriented. Now, that's great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's bad. But let's not forget that others also benefit when we walk in the Spirit. See, chapter 5 talks about a personal decision to, to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And here we're talking about interactive, interrelationships. Agreed in chapter 6? Because this decision affects how you're going to engage with people and how you will walk with people. Let's consider uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. We'll bring it up on projection. Ephesians 4, 28. Let him who stole steal no longer. That's actually great advice. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. And catch this. Why is he working? Why would he no longer be that old person, but to be this new creation in Christ? And why would he labor? That he may have something to give him who has need. See, that is a foreign concept to most of Western civilization. It's a foreign concept to how, who we are as Americans. We have an American dream. We have a drive and a passion and opportunity to do what we can for ourselves. But let's not let that drive become the only motivation. We're swamped with a what's-in-it-for-me mentality. And the Bible teaches something very different to you and I. And it's actually not spoken of from the pulpit as much as it should be. It's spoken to work so you could help someone in need is contrary to the way most people in our culture think. Most people in our culture think and tilt towards, well, you've just got to learn as you go. That'll teach them. They've got to learn from their mistakes. And I get all that at times. But let's realize we should be willing to do what we can because there's been an opportunity to help someone else. Is that not foreign? I mean, even if I say it, I know, I, could, I just know. There's something like, I've never heard it put that way. 
That doesn't help my 401k. No, not that you think that, but you know what I'm saying. It rhymes, so I said it. It's a fact. And man, if we're not willing to be gut level honest with ourselves, why, why would things change? You know, I don't share this message like, hey, you guys, get this together. This is, these are always very convicting to me. I don't even get to pick them. So don't complain about the pastor. I started in chapter one. We ended up at chapter six, okay? So that's where we are. I think it's very encouraging. We're going to close out with Philippians 4 as the worship team makes their way back up. I'm, I love these texts because I, I'm just a, I just like to know what to do. I know it's one thing to know philosophy and theory and thought and theology, but what do we do? What do we do with this? Like, well, we just got a good glimpse of some very important things to be, you know, like, okay, what, how do I let my heart be changed? How do I deal with these things? So will you stand with me? We are going to, I'm going to read through Philippians 4, just the, the verses projected there, and uh, we're going to pray. We see in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Oh God, thank you for this study today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us so much that you'll deal with these, these things that we maybe, well, we would. We'd avoid. We would look away from. And we're thankful, God. I, just, I know I'm so appreciative, so thankful that you reveal things to build us up and release us and free us, that we would know the liberty we have in you, Jesus. That you bring these things, some things, to the forefront of our mind. You reveal things that, that really we can be a part of for the purpose of our, our growth and our, our knowing you more. And just thank you, God. If there's anyone here, you haven't taken that first step. You don't have that relationship with Jesus where you can be truthful and transparent. It's because your sin has kept you from him. You can't run with him if you didn't ever, if you never began. You can't begin, begin unless you're born again. It begins this way, just admitting, God, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I know I've messed some things up. I know I've done wrong. I, I know I'm guilty. Then I would ask Jesus that you would forgive me. I believe the Bible to be true, that you did die for my sins, that you come as a man, lived a sinless life, died to pay the sin debt that I have, and that only you can forgive me. And so I ask you, forgive me, God, and, and teach me what this new life looks like. Show me how to live. Let me slip back to my own deception. Let me walk in truth. Teach me, oh God. God, that's really ultimately our petition for every one of us. Teach us your ways, oh God, that you would be glorified. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.